And then my husband died and I had to get up and I had to keep moving forward. And I had to keep changing diapers and, you know, making school lunches and calling lawyers and get up off the floor and figure out what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. And as much as I wanted to stay in that room and shut everybody out, I couldn't. And I've had so many people say like, I don't know how you do it. And I don't know how you keep going. And I'm like, I have no choice. You're listening to Now What? A podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What? I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Today, we're being joined by Michelle, who is a fellow podcaster at I Did Not Sign Up For This. So you may have listened to her co-host episode, Carling. And Jen and I have each been on that podcast. And so they're each coming on our podcast. And we just love them. And we want to be best friends. And we don't want to live in different provinces. But we're here with Michelle today. She is a mom of five. And as I said, a podcast host. And she's going to tell us today a little bit about herself and her story. And her journey. So hi, Michelle. Hi, hi. hi Jen. Hi, Tisha. I'm so happy to be here. And we are so happy. best friends. So don't even worry about it. We, <laughs> best we might have to like road trip what's in between Calgary and Toronto. Not much. Manitoba. Yeah, like Winnipeg. <laughs> Winnipeg. <laughs> I've been there once. I don't think I need to go again. Yeah, I'm like nothing, nothing <laughs> cool. But <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to meet in San Diego. Yes. Yes. I need to book. Did you book that? Maybe. Not yet, but I'm going to. <laughs> Calgary to Stampede. We go, you guys we have the Stampede. Don't, don't go to the Stampede. <laughs> don't go no. to the Stampede? No. I mean, that almost seems worth the trip to Calgary. Really? No, no, I don't know. It's probably because I live here <laughs> and I've been to it so many times that it's just not. Yeah it's not it, it, that exciting anymore. And, you know, the thought of going with all my kids and spending, you know, all hundreds of dollars <laughs> yeah, is a I little, but did you ever go to the London Western fair? No. no. Have you been to London? I haven't. Yes. So they have a Western fair every September, I think. And we used to go with school and I loved okay. it. And it's a smaller version of the stampede. Um, but it's still fun. It's got all the carnival rides and the cool food and stuff like that. So, and I am looking this yeah. up right now. I've never even heard of it, but my husband's family is from oh, London. Perfect. And then yeah. I think there's like a children's fair also at the same time. I could be getting my timing wrong, but we would go with oh, school all the time. That sounds fun. I've been to the Royal, but there's no rides. Oh, okay. <laughs> Talk about a serious <laughs> yeah. digression. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you guys have a podcast talking about the way life twists and turns, yeah, just like we do. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? You're going to talk about your relationship with your husband and, and how that has all evolved and where you are right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm Michelle. <laughs> I, I feel so weird talking about myself. I live in Alberta right now, but I'm originally from Ontario and I miss it a lot. I would definitely fly back in a, in a heartbeat if I could. So I have five kids, as Tisha said, and they range from age 12 to four. 
My twins are four. They're almost five. Having surprise twins after three was uh, a major shock, but they're wonderful yeah. and exciting. And <laughs> we always wanted to have a big family and just kind of happened really quickly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my husband and I met, his name is Anthony and we met in high school. Um, we were both 16 and I fell in love with him immediately. I remember going wow. back home um, to Ontario and I, I had a boyfriend at the time, but I had this photo album that I was showing my grandma and I was like, well, this is my boyfriend, but this is a guy that I'm going to marry. And that was Anthony. Um, oh. And so we always say, I knew I was going to marry him as soon as I met him. He was just a little bit behind. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah. So we were best friends immediately. We hit it off and we would flirt with each other constantly and our significant others hated it. I remember actually one stampede where um, we were there and we were watching Collective Soul at the Coke stage and I was crying because my boyfriend was mad at me for flirting with uh, Anthony the whole time <laughs> and, his, <laughs> and his girlfriend was mad at him. So they kind of stormed off and him and I were just standing there like watching Collective Soul, like this is awkward, but also like you definitely- <laughs> This is how it should be. <laughs> exactly, right? So we didn't start dating until after high school actually, but we were best friends the whole time, went through a lot together, you know, all of kind of high school and all of the drama involved. So him and I would talk on the phone every day and- just we were there for each other and in our early 20s Anthony's dad passed away and so I was he kind of shut out a lot of our friends and I mean going through going through that now I can understand that you just want to keep people close to you that are there for I don't know the right reasons or that you're comfortable talking to them about certain things so I feel like people that feel safe absolutely and so it was really just him and I, you know, after his dad died, that was, it was just the two of us kind of bonded together. And we started dating shortly after that. And so we were together for a year and then he went off to New Zealand and wanted to kind of travel around. And when he came back, he broke up with me, which was devastating. He, you know, didn't want things to move quickly. And because we're both from a pretty religious family he just wanted to kind of be able to have a bit of a life before we settled down and and you know had all the kids and everything mm -hmm. but we still remained best friends we still saw each other all the time and then probably a year after we broke up he um came to me and said I I want to get back together I but I don't want to just date you I want to marry you and so that was mm -hmm. wonderful because I was just, you know, I was like, I know You've we're going to get, for that. Yeah, I'm like, I know yeah. we're going to get married. I just have yeah. to wait for him to, to catch up. And <laughs> uh, thankfully he did. And we got engaged really quickly, went to our parents and told them and they're like, what? <laughs> you weren't even <laughs> dating. And I were like, don't worry. We know we're fine. Like we, we we're good. Yeah, we're good. And then nine months later we got married. So we were 24. So that is really young. Now that I think about it, when I think about a 24 year old getting married, it seems so mm -hmm. young. I was always on the path of, 
I want to get married. I want to have kids. Yeah. So it just felt right. And it just felt like we, we had each other, like he was my person and I was his person and we knew what we wanted and we knew that we wanted to have children right away on our wedding. People would ask us like, when are you going to start having kids? And we're like, Oh, like tonight. (laughs) (laughs) When are you going to start trying? And we ended up getting pregnant on our honeymoon. No way. Yeah. And so nine months after our wedding, we had our first, a little boy named Adrian and yeah. So we had some losses of babies, miscarriages in between our kids. Um, I lost my second pregnancy at about 18 weeks, which was quite traumatic. You, you know, you go to, you get to 12 weeks and you think that you're okay, you know, Mm -hmm. but then you go to the 18 week ultrasound where you're going to find out the gender and you're so excited. And then you're told that the baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And that was just, Mm -hmm. and you know, not in our, yeah. And just not in the realm of what we thought was possible. You know, I feel like, especially, I mean, I can't speak to this, but when you've had a baby, yeah, well, it's just going to happen. Absolutely. And that pregnancy was so, you know, we got pregnant. So quickly there were no complications and so it was very yeah just very bizarre and so that was just another kind of trauma that kind of bonded us together I we had to go to the hospital and we were probably in the waiting room for three to four hours because I wasn't miscarrying on my own they needed to actually induce me at that stage and I remember him and I were in one of the emergency room rooms, but we were right outside the nurse's station. And so Mm -hmm. even though we're devastated and crying on and off, we could still find the humor and we could still laugh with each other and make each other laugh and eavesdrop on the nurse's station and what, you know, the drama that was going on in the hospital. And there was a guy there who had come from jail and we're like, oh my God, like it was just... It was just one of those kind of silly things that we were able, like our relationship was built so much on just laughter. And so we went through that and then we had our daughter who's almost 10. And then we had two more miscarriages after that. I had one at 16 weeks and one at 10 weeks. The one at 10 weeks uh, landed me in the hospital. I had to have a transfusion, had to have emergency surgery. That was really scary. Yeah. And yeah, our, our road was never paved. It was very rocky, but we always had each other to lean on. And of course our relationship wasn't perfect. I mean, there was fighting and, you know, things like that as relationships normally have. I I think it's, I, I guess the trouble I have and like, spoiler alert, he passed away. So um, I feel like it's hard to kind of talk about your relationship. And Jen, I don't know if you feel this way too, that because the other person's not there, it's hard to talk about your relationship because it feels one-sided. Yeah. But I know mm, yeah. him and I know his heart and I know the conversations that we've had together. And I know that what I'm saying is authentic, you know, that he loved Mm -hmm. us and he loved his children. And I don't know, it was just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it just feels weird kind of trying to talk about it after the fact. 
Well, because you're, I mean, you're, everything's biased, right? And so Absolutely. Guide and, and I feel like it's easy. I know, I know, I don't know if you do this, but I do this where I like will read into maybe an argument or a conversation yeah. or try to figure out what was going through his head. Yeah. Just because, especially in my situation, there was so much that I learned about after he had died. Right. So like trying to figure out like what was going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can never fully get into that other person's head. Right. Yeah. yeah. But when you've known someone since you were 16 and we, you know, grew up together, we didn't have, yeah. there was nothing about ourselves that we didn't know each, you know, that had happened in our mm-hmm. lives that we didn't know about each other. So after that third miscarriage, we had our third daughter and we moved you know, in between and things like that. And he was a drywall taper. So he loved his job. He was really good at his job. I was a stay at home mom because, you know, three kids and daycare and all of that. It's just not even a possibility. Um, And then, yeah, we were surprised by our twins and I was, we wanted to have more kids. So I was pregnant and I was going for a dating ultrasound and that morning I said to him, what are you going to do if I call you and it's twins? Just <laughs> completely out of the blue. Right. And he was like, what did he say? He was like, don't joke about that. Like, that's crazy. And so then I went, I went to my dating ultrasound and I, I would go to dating ultrasounds because I'd had so many losses. I just wanted to, you know, be sure everything was going okay. And he didn't come with me because I'm like, it's just a dating ultrasound. And he was going to work. He was driving actually out of town to go to work. And I remember having a panic attack in the waiting room because even though I thought it would be fine, I've gotten so much bad news at ultrasounds that yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. realistically, I probably shouldn't be here by myself. <laughs> right. Um, but I go into the ultrasound and they put the wand on my belly and I immediately saw two sacks. And I've had so many ultrasounds that I was like, that, that is twins. And I, I knew it immediately, but I didn't say anything. And I had a student and she wasn't saying anything. She just kept going around and making her measurements and everything. And then her teacher came in and was like, okay, so you just label that one baby A and that one baby B. And I was like, is it twins? He's like, yeah, she didn't tell you. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so at that Imagine point, if you hadn't looked and like recognize yeah. to see that it was. And that's how I'm told. That yeah. <laughs> so that was shocking. And I remember like hyperventilating on the table and she's like, can you control your breathing so we can get their heartbeats? I'm like, no, I can't. Like you just told me that I'm having two more babies and I have three at home. Like (laughs) (laughs) this is a lot. And so I got out of the ultrasound. It was taking a long time. And I said, I need, I need photographic proof to show my husband because he's not going to believe me. And I'm like, He's going to think this is a prank because I joked about it before I came here. And I was like, and I, but I told him, I'm like, I would never joke about that. Like I would never joke about, you know, pregnancy stuff. That's because of everything that we've been through. Right. But I was like, I need proof. And so I'm sitting in the waiting room and he's texting me. He's like, what's going on? Like, is everything okay? I'm like, everything's okay. But like, I'll call you in a little bit because he was getting nervous. So I phoned him and I was like, um, I was like, it's twins. And he's like, no, it's not. 
And I'm like, no, it is. And he's like, shut up. I'm like, no, <laughs> like I have proof. <laughs> and he's like, oh, and it was just from there on. It was just crazy bananas. Like our life mm-hmm. just went nuts. And I had them, I had to have them C-section because they were both breech. And so I had to, you know, recover from surgery with five kids at home. And my daughter was starting kindergarten and out here it was half day, everyday kindergarten. So we needed to be at this and my son was in grade two. So we had to be at the school three times a day. And so I needed to employ like my mother-in-law and my mom to do the picking up and dropping off because it was, I mean, there was no way I could go anywhere with two newborns and let alone, you know, 10 minutes up the road to school. And yeah, as they grew, we kind of felt like we needed to get out of the city and have a little bit more space. And so we decided to move just outside of Drumheller onto an acreage and it was beautiful and perfect. And it was exactly what we wanted. We had this like beautiful tree lined driveway and a red barn and the house was just a farmhouse. It wasn't anything special, but it just felt really magical there. It was just exactly what we wanted. And my husband was really, really happy there. I, I knew that every time he had to leave for work, he was just sad because he just wanted to stay there with us and explore and, you know, build things. And he had such a, an amazing mind of creating things. And, you know, we wanted to renovate the house and we wanted to possibly turn the barn into our house. And we had all these grand dreams and, and Yeah. And then everything came crashing down and he passed away. And then I had to pick up all the pieces after that. So how old were your, like your twins? How much longer? They had just turned two. They had just turned two. Okay. So um, he passed away in March of 2019. Mm -hmm. I remember that day feeling sick. I felt sick all day and I couldn't figure out why. And, and then I was told that he had died and yeah, everything fell apart, obviously. And it was phone calls and plans. And I remember phoning people and telling them that he had died. And I remember them saying how sorry they were to me. And I'm like, I'm sorry too. Like you lost your brother, you lost your friend, you lost your cousin. We're all, we've all lost something. Did you have to make a lot of those calls or did you choose to? Um, I don't. Cause I'm, I'm thinking now I didn't call anyone. But yeah. I don't know if I chose to, I think I just did it. You started doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty late at night. And I knew there were certain people that I needed to tell right away. And so I called some of our close friends and family and yeah, I guess those, I mean, those phone calls are so hard to make. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. impossible when you think about it, that you have to call someone out of the blue and give them the worst news of their life. You know, it's the worst phone call to have to make. I, I know like um, my stepfather passed away suddenly and I made some of those Mm -hmm. phone calls and like, to call somebody and say, Hey, your brother died and have to, you know, there's some trauma in that and their response and hearing 
their reaction to yeah. it, right? Because everybody, I mean, in a case where you're not expecting it, everyone's caught off Absolutely. guard. No one's yeah. expecting you to call them and, and say yeah. your cousin or your son or whatever. I'm, um, I'm listening to this right now and I'm like kind of floored that I didn't, I literally called my, my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't call anybody else. Even when, like, before I had known what happened, Mm -hmm. when it was an accident, I said to whoever was there with him, I'm like, somebody has to call his parents. Yeah. I think that's typical. Honestly, I think that a lot of people designate someone else to make those phone calls because thinking back, it was, and I I remember Carling was there because she drove. So she's my co-host. You guys obviously know that. (laughs) Um, But she drove, she had never been to my new place and I was an hour and a half away from her. And she phoned one of our friends to get my address because she's like, I just need to get there. And Mm -hmm. she drove in the dark, you know, down these crazy country roads to, to come to me and I think she got to me at probably nine or 10 o'clock at night in March. It's dark. And I remember her asking me if she wanted me, her to make the phone calls, but I don't know why I did. Now that I think about it, I have no. <laughs> you just felt like you wanted to do it. Yeah, but I. It's something to do, right? Like yes. you want, I, I, I understand wanting to do something. Like I remember mm-hmm. um, once I got to the hospital that day, you know, and I was like sitting with him and, and to me, that was like not okay yeah. that was just because it wasn't him and yeah. I didn't find any solace in it so I became fixated on figuring out like ensuring that his family could get there yes yeah because they were coming in from far away and because mm-hmm. that's something that I'm good at yeah Tisha and I were talking about needing to control things before that was something <laughs> that on that day that I could control Absolutely. and I knew, and I knew I could I was good at I'm good at getting the outcome I need to out of people in like complicated situations yeah absolutely Mm-hmm. I, um, so the, and at 10 o'clock at night in the country, yeah. that's all you could do. Exactly. And I, and I needed yeah. to call my parents. They were in Phoenix. They had just left to go to Phoenix because they have a place out there. I think they had just gotten there three weeks before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I phoned them and I said, you know, Anthony, Anthony died and they needed to come back. And so they got on a plane and they had their friends drive their car back for them a few days later. And in my mind, I was like, we need to get to Calgary because that's where everybody was. Everybody was in Calgary, all of our friends and family. And so the next day, Carling and I packed up as much as we could because we didn't know how long we were going to be gone for and Mm -hmm. packed up all the kids and we drove to Calgary. I got a speeding ticket and the cop didn't care that my husband had just died. He still gave me the ticket (laughs) because he was a jerk. Really? Yeah, seriously. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was oh, not good. Man. Um, my my son was so mad at the cop. He was so mad. I bet. But yeah, so we got back. To- this is your eldest, this, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so like they, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy how they step up. Like, yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking mm-hmm. and then also kind of like amazing at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Actually, I I should go back a little bit. I did tell my kids right away when. I found out because I was on the phone and I couldn't obviously keep it together when I was given that news. And so they all kind of filed into my room and I just said, I just said, daddy died because I, that's all I could say. You know, I, I didn't want (laughs) to lie to them. I didn't want to say something else. I just bluntly said it. 
and their reactions were horrible. My son just ran up to his room and cried and my girls just broke down and the twins cried, not really knowing what was going on, but saw everyone else crying. And so they cried. And then I just, they all just piled into my bed and they all fell asleep. And then that's when I went out and started making phone calls after that. So once we got to Calgary, it was, I mean, people dropping off food at my parents' house and all the lovely things. And I remember making a Facebook post. And the thing about my husband is that he was the nicest, most personable guy. He was nice to everybody and he would chat with everybody and he had I don't know just such a nice welcoming personality he could talk to anybody and so he worked for a lot of people and he did jobs for a lot of people and so me making that post was so shocking everyone was like please tell me this isn't real like this can't be real because they knew him and they knew how amazing he was and how just I don't know he just he just touched everyone that he knew and so it was really awful really awful but we had a lot of people step up for us it was amazing you know people offering to do things dropping off things dropping off food all of that but I feel like I feel a little bit like I also need to control things as well And there were certain things that, you know, I went to Old Navy and I got my girls their dresses that they wore at the funeral. I went and got my dress with my girlfriends and was trying on dresses and thinking like, this is so messed up that I'm in a changing room trying on dresses for my husband's funeral. Like Mm -hmm. this is. And buying like little girl dresses. Yeah. Like buying three little black dresses. Like how. For little girls for his daughter. Like they're little. Yeah. Like how messed up is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I had to make a slideshow of, and if anyone knows me, they know that I take a picture approximately every like 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a really easy task. It was easy, but it was hard because I had too many pictures and the slideshow could only be so long. Right. (laughs) I can't believe you did that too. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I did the pictures. Um, his cousin wrote the obituary, but we were all, you know, we all contributed to it, made all the decisions at the funeral, uh, home. there was a part of me that was like stubborn and I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to pick out my husband's casket. I don't want to pick out, you know, the flowers. I don't want to do this because I shouldn't be doing this. But then I was like, I just have to do it. You know, I just have to make these choices. And thankfully I had a lot of support with me. I mean, at the funeral home, it was my parents, his mom, his brother, his sister-in-law, my best friend, like there was a million of us there trying to just make these horrific choices about someone's life and there's so much of it I feel like I've blocked out and that it kind of seeps back every once in a while because my brain has locked it away I remember moving forward exactly right we had we did a viewing it was only close family and friends my kids weren't there and I I still feel okay with that choice um, because it was an open casket and I feel like they don't need to remember him like that. I mean, he mm-hmm. looked perfect. He looked like he could just get up and mm-hmm. wake up and be there. 
And that was so difficult because it was just him, you know, it was just him laying there. And, but then to touch him, he's cold and he's stiff and, you know, it's not him. And so I, I'm glad that my kids weren't there. I'm glad that they didn't see him like that. I feel like it would have been really confusing for them because it was confusing for me. Well, especially, and especially the really little. Absolutely. Right. Oh God, I couldn't even imagine like what that would have looked like. So um, the next day we had the funeral and they were there for that and uh, the burial at the cemetery and it's unbelievable. It's like, it's like being in a fog that whole time, right? And at I, least it was for absolutely. Me. And I've said this before that I think that that's why, and probably, I mean, I know that there's other practical reasons why a funeral is done immediately, but in my mind, it's like, it's done so quickly because you are so out of it that if, if I were to have a funeral for him now, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. There's no way because I'm so aware of what is going on. And I'm so aware of what our reality is and that he's gone. But you've lost. Yeah. But when you're in the thick of it and you are so just like you said, in a fog, you can go through those motions. You can walk behind your husband's casket with your five kids and you can somehow put one foot in front of the other somehow. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. see your, you know, husband being lowered into the ground and somehow be okay. Not okay, but you know what I mean? Like you're not jumping on. You can do it. it, Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you don't fully understand yet the gravity of what that means. Absolutely. Like what life is going to look like. You're still like in shock. I remember at, uh, the celebration of life that we had for Warren, like at that time there were six little nephews and they were all like in their own area but they kept kind of like filing into the film studio and you just would hear them like screaming and laughing and it was like I I remember like it being kind of trippy yeah but I don't think I really understood like you know what I mean oh yeah yeah like thinking back I'm like I I can't imagine what other people thought like I know even thinking back like I know that 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 was actually right like that's how it should have been and he would have wanted it that way yeah but it still must have you know you have people talking about him and it was you know it was definitely a more celebratory thing yeah but but that was during like the more you know serious part portion of things I mean ours was like a full-on catholic uh depression like it was probably would do things differently now honestly but for the sake of family we did it that way and you know it was fine it was fine but it was yeah it was it was hard for sure and then what did it look like after that yeah so we went back to Drumheller and in my kind of mind, I was like I want to stay here I want to stay here this is where we this is what we wanted for the kids. This is where we wanted to be. This is where I felt, you know, so connected to him. I can stay here. I can, you know, get a job. I can figure it out. But it just got to the point where actually I did get a job. I started back working with the with the company that I worked with before I had my kids. And I was 
it was just so nice to go to work and not working for eight years and then going back to work is such a weird experience, but also it's wonderful. <laughs> you kind of forget what it's like to kind of go to work and do things for yourself and do a job that you were good at before and that you're still good at and that you feel appreciate you know appreciated and you just have this kind of separate life from your life as a mom and doing things constantly for your children and it felt really good yeah (laughs) it was (laughs) but it, it got to the point where you know me living out in the the boonies with five kids it was too hard to be so far away from all of our family and friends. We had incredible support where we were. Our neighbors were amazing. We always joked that we lived, we lived beside neighbors forever and we barely knew them. But then as soon as we moved out to the country and our neighbors were farther away, they were, they were the best neighbors we'd ever had. And they were so wonderful. And after he died, I had people dropping off casseroles and food and money and you know anything and everything you could think of and so leaving was really bittersweet I didn't want to leave because I loved our community up there and but I knew it was the right thing to do so it kind of worked out that there was a prop there was a house available in the town that we used to live in And I'd always said that when I moved back, I didn't want to live in Calgary because I just never liked living in Calgary. I'm more of a smaller town type vibe. And so we moved to a smaller town and that was insane. You know, moving an entire acreage (laughs) and, you know, going through your husband's things, trying to figure out what you want to keep and what you don't and what you. Well, and yeah, being like forced to do that Uh so soon. Yeah. You know, yeah. not being, you, you weren't afforded the uh, possible, I mean, you could have kept everything, but yes. you still would have had to go through it. Exactly. Um, and then not only that, and on top of all that, I need to go through, so my husband didn't have a will or life insurance. And so going through uh, probate to put, and not everything was in my name. And when we we owned a house in Calgary that was just in his name. He bought it before we were married. And I actually had a condo that was in my name. So there was really no reason to kind of put each other on those things, uh, except if you're going to pass away and your wife needs to take over everything. Yeah. And so that was difficult. We were renting this plate, this property out in uh, Drummellers. So we're renting out the property in Calgary to somebody else. So for a while it was fine. They were living there, still paying me rent, but then eventually I wanted to sell it and I needed to go through probate. I needed to, there's so many things that you don't think about. And thankfully my dad is a researcher and he is a information gatherer. And that's all he did for months after my husband died was get together all the things that I needed to do and all the places I needed to call And he did as much as he could for me, but there were, I mean, there were things I still needed to do on my own. I needed to call the banks. I needed to drop off death certificates. I needed to do all these things. I needed to go to the lawyer and yeah, just, and he didn't just have the property. He also had business. So then there was also dissolving the business and doing the taxes and um, 
it's so hard. I mean, there were times where I would get my mom to come and watch my kids and I would go drive to an empty parking lot and just sit and make phone calls because I couldn't make phone calls from the house. It was too crazy. So I would sit in my car and I would just make phone call after phone call, send emails. And that was my office of like my little office of depression where I had to, you know, and those things are like so hard to do. Yeah. And I had to tell random strangers that my husband died and they're saying, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, just, can you just do this? Like, well, and then they don't (laughs) treat you like they are half the time anyway. So why are you saying that? Exactly. I'm like, you know, just cancel his phone, please. I don't need your condolences. Like just. I, somebody from Sirius XM tried to upsell me when I was like trying to cancel it on his truck. And I was like, I don't need it anymore either. Oh my gosh. Well, when I went to cancel his phone, uh, I'm going to put bell on blast here for a second because I went and canceled his phone and they still charged me a cancellation fee because he, because we had to cancel the phone because he died. He was in a contract or something. Um, well, my mortgage company only allows one year for lump sum, one time a year for lump sum payments. Yeah. And I was getting um, the, the mortgage insurance. Oh, yeah. And they were going to charge me a ton of money. And my <sighs> father was like, no, they're not. And no, he wrote a letter no. to the CEO. And, <laughs> and it was like a whole thing. Um, yeah. But it did your dad win? Of course he did. <laughs> did my dad win? <laughs> Come on, dads always win. <laughs> My dad always wins. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of, I just needed to hear the answer. But yeah, um, for them to to charge me to cancel his phone line, I'm like, well, I would love to keep his phone line open, trust me, but I can't because he's no longer here. Like, is there no sort of clause for people who die or are we just going to charge the widows afterwards, you know? So yeah. Oh, yeah. that was frustrating and it was just crazy. And like I said, I've blocked out so much of it because it was so, it was traumatic, honestly, like to, to make those phone calls and to have to do those things after your husband died and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your five kids. And if you should go back to work or if you should go on assistance or, you know, what, what's going to happen, you know? And I remember saying, you know, this happened, but we're not going to let it end us. We need to keep going and we're going to be resilient, but there are times where, you know, we can't be, it's, everything's falling apart and we're sad and we're mad and we're confused and we're broke. And, you know, there's like, there's, it's just a mess. So we moved back to our town and thankfully uh, I went to the company that I worked with previously and they had a position open in my town, which was incredible. And I had worked there before and I'm so just, I was just so blessed that I could start working there right away. I got my kids into daycare and thankfully part of it was subsidized. So then we lived in that, in that house for less than a year and we were renting it. And then letters started showing up at the door and people started dropping things off. And I'm like, what's going on? And they were foreclosure letters. So on the house you were renting. On the house that we were renting. Oh, because that's what happened to me once. Yeah. I was renting a house and they foreclosed yeah. on it. I was paying my uh-huh. rent. He wasn't paying the yeah, mortgage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
So I was paying him, you know, $2,000 a month to, for us to live there. And he wasn't paying his mortgage. So it was foreclosed on and we had to move again. Oh my God. And so we moved right at the beginning of March, 2020, right before everything shut down and went to hell. And so we moved to another house just a like 10 minutes away from where we were and in the same town and the kids are going to the same school and all of that it ended up working out I mean we could have stayed there and paid the bank rent but it was just I didn't want to deal with the chaos of that and you know showings and all of that and the unknown of are we going to have to move again so we moved one more time in the you know after losing him which was again crazy and traumatic and going through things and decluttering and all of that. And yeah, it's been, it's been really hard. Uh, I got my kids into counseling. We have a really great grief center out here for kids. And so my kids were able to go to counseling for a, a very cheap price, which was good. Um, yeah. And the was 100% the right choice. And putting my little kids in daycare was 100% the right choice for us. I remember talking to my dad about what I should do. Um, I I don't want to go on assistance. And this is not me being negative about anyone who is on it. Because I understand that there are different situations for everybody. But in my mind, I'm like, I, I can work. I want to work. I can get up and I can, I can go and I can, and for me going to work was more for my mental health than it was for the paycheck, because trust me, it's not, it's not great, (laughs) 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 but it was something that I needed to do for my my mental health. And it definitely, it was definitely the right choice. So, well, it makes sense what you were saying, you know, it almost gave you that time where you were something other just than just a grieving mom. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You had another kind of place to go and something else to think about. And And the support that I've gotten from the work family has also been amazing. And I wouldn't have mm -hmm. if I didn't go back to work. And you think about, you know, I have my coworkers are like, oh, my kids grew out of this. Do you want this? Or my kid grew out of this bike. Do you want the bike? And you know, you just have this kind of other family that supports you and loves you. And you can talk to them when you're having a bad day. And if everything's falling apart, they, they'll help you, you know, and I feel so blessed that I've been Mm -hmm. able to work with people who are just amazing. And then I can share my experiences with them. Do you find it easier to be around people that maybe didn't know him or you guys together yeah yeah I find that I I find and it's actually funny because some people do because I went back to the same place and right. so some people still yep. worked there so that was right. kind of nice too for them to remember like when I was working there we got married and when I was working there we got pregnant with our first baby and so right. they remembered him in a different way too. And that was really nice to kind of Mm -hmm. hear their Mm -hmm. memories of him and us together. And when we first got married and, you know, all of that. So, and it's sometimes it's nice to go to work and pretend that none of this has ever happened. 
and to talk to clients and have small talk with them and not have to bring up that my husband's dead and I have five kids at home. You know, sometimes it's nice to just, yeah, pretend that that's not my life. Mm -hmm. I did that a lot, even just having cancer. Like I didn't tell a lot of people. And sometimes I liked Mm -hmm. that having a conversation with somebody who didn't know who wasn't you know, looking at me with pity or telling me how brave I was or, you know, who just didn't know and just was treating me like a regular mom at the school. I kind Mm -hmm. of, I needed that as much as I also needed the people who did know and were supportive. Yeah. Depending on the day, depending on where I was, you know, they both, both of those things for me, had a purpose in a place and a role in my, my experience and my journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and since losing him, I have battled with depression. I have battled. I, I knew for a long time I was battling with anxiety even before um, he died. And so that to me too, kind of um, understanding mental health a little bit better because I was experiencing it myself and seeing my kids going through it was kind of eye-opening mm-hmm. to, yeah, just to, to know what depression feels like and that, you know, I'm on medication and, but there are days where you just literally can't get out of bed and my grief uh, manifests into, yeah, just lack of motivation, lack of everything, lack of wanting to do a damn thing. So there are days where I can look at my house and see how destroyed it is and how badly, you know, I need to go somewhere with my kids to get them out of the house. And I literally can't get up. I can't do it. And I need people around me who can understand that and who can either Mm -hmm. push me in a healthy way and encourage me to get up and get moving or literally just lay beside me and say, this sucks. And I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And I never, Mm knew that I would feel that way. I've always been the person that if there's a mess, I'm getting up, I'm cleaning it. I'm in control. I've got this figured out. I had to let a lot of that go when I had my twins. I needed to have people come and help me (laughs) and load my dishwasher and just like let them without being like, Ooh, that's not how I do it. But you know, (laughs) the amount of things I've had to let go since losing my husband is also unbelievable. If I would have seen myself you know, if my past self would have seen myself now, I would just be cringing because why is your house messy or why is, you know, why are your kids going out and wearing the same clothes as yesterday? Exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But some of that stuff and, and not only that, but when I hear about a couple who's like bickering about something, it seems so insignificant now. It seems like I want to go back to all of those arguments that we had and just be like, who cares? Like, and I know that you can say that in hindsight, because in the moment when you are fighting with your spouse, you're passionate and you're, <laughs> you're pissed. It's a big fucking deal. <laughs> exactly. Right. But, yeah. but now it just feels like, God, none of that stuff matters. Like it doesn't matter if they forgot to pack a diaper bag. It doesn't matter if you, you know, let your tank run out of gas. It, none of that shit matters, but 
you can't say that until you're in my position and you don't want to be in my position. Right. So I guess keep fighting, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, it's so no, but weird. it does when you have these types of experiences, sometimes it gives you a different perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I know myself, like being diagnosed with cancer and thinking and really being confronted with my own mortality. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, gives me a perspective that I think other people don't have unless they've been confronted with their own mortality. Exactly. Exactly. Because for the most part, we don't really think about it. No. No. Right. No. Or we don't think about our, our spouses dying until it happens to us. And it definitely, I see certain things a little bit differently. And I don't want, sometimes I'm like, ah, other people don't see things the way that I see them, but I don't want them to see it my way because it means that they have had to have something horrible happen. <laughs> well, I feel like like we either the first time we we like all talked or maybe it was when I was on your show Michelle, uh-huh. like this whole like sisterhood of widows, oh, like yes. it's like so ridiculous like the amount of support that there is yes. out there in mm-hmm. the widow community. It's this amazing community that you don't want anybody to have to join. No, not at all. And I used to say that it's an amazing community, but I don't want you to be part of it. Yeah. And I used to say that about, um, like my miscarriages as well. Like you're all in this club that nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be in, but the support that you get from the club is incredible. And you'll never experience it unless you've been through something so horrible. Um, but, but I also find myself comparing myself to a lot of widows and, what they're doing and what they've been able to accomplish, you know, that maybe I feel like I'm not, uh, I'm not healed enough, you know, that maybe they're more healed than me or that they've been able to be more resilient than me because they are, they've started a foundation or they're, you know, in a new relationship or their kids are thriving or, you know, and that, that kind of just, also speaks to social media and the well yeah I was just absolutely because you're only getting <laughs> yeah. what they want to show and you don't right? really know yeah. how they're feeling and also maybe there are people who are killing it yeah. and they've got the foundation and they're fully healed if that's a thing right yeah um but everyone's journey is also different yeah yeah and do they have right and like kids exactly yeah do they ha- do they have twins like there's <laughs> so twins. many circumstances yeah. <laughs> that are are different from one to another yeah. I mean right? I like, we can't compare traumas no. we can't compare no one's winning in any of it no one's winning there's no competition no. but I fully understand the going on social media and comparing yourself to other oh, people. Oh, I find like myself. I'm talking to you about this, but these are the things that I oh, tell myself yeah. when I'm on social oh, yeah. media. <laughs> well, I I compare myself a lot. I feel like to um, cancer widows. Okay, it's like I feel like because I I guess I just know a lot of them mm-hmm. um, in real life and 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 just on social, and I feel like you ha- you got to say goodbye. Uh huh. Yeah. like properly say goodbye. Yeah. You know, yeah. your husband, mm-hmm. while he was very ill, passed away. Mine didn't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, he went to work and didn't come home. Yeah. Similar like to like, yeah. it's, it's a very 
different experience. Yeah. Um, and, and when I'm feeling really surly, I get really angry about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, I'd be a shit ass caretaker. Right. So, I would too. Uh, yeah. But also what they went through in those exactly final mm. weeks or months or however long it was exactly. is also not something you would wish upon no. anybody. Nope. No, because no. there's so, so much trauma in that too. You know, there's exactly. Yeah there's a different exactly. kind of trauma it's so we just all gotta love each exactly. other not compare our trauma well I think that's what's really amazing <laughs> about like your show and our show it's like sharing these traumas and and seeing how we can like you know our stories and journeys are very different mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. just hearing you talk about it like it just is like a little bit triggering and a yeah. little bit like goosebump inducing and just like I remember a lot of those feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but again, I think especially when you're talking about illness and death and really any trauma, I guess, but like de- we're all going to die. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everyone we love is going to too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about making light of it, but like, why is it so uncomfortable? I know. I know. I, I feel like that too. Like it's, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be, um, and I remember watching, you know, Nora, why am I blanking on her last McInerney? Yeah. Nora and McInerney's she was like, all of, all of, yeah, like all of your friends want to put the grieving people together. Cause it's like, oh, you lost someone and you lost someone. Like just talk to each other. Like you'll, you'll bond. Don't talk or, to me about it. Exactly. Talk to each other, talk to each other. <laughs> you know, but it's like, eventually you're going to experience that as well and eventually you're going to lose someone that you love as well and you know maybe maybe listen to the person who has lost right now whether it feels uncomfortable or not you know feel kind of what we're feeling and and listen to our experience and listen to what we've been through and maybe you can take a piece of that with you if that ever you know when that happens to you you know, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, we need to learn from each other and we need to, um, like you said, be there for each other and no one. And I always feel like no one's, like you said, no one's trauma is greater or less than ours. You know, our trauma is ours and your trauma is yours, but it doesn't trump each other. And I do feel Mm -hmm. like I, and I've also had people compare themselves to me where it's like, well, my life isn't as crazy as yours, or I haven't been through what you've been through. And I'm like, but you've been through something and you were traumatized by it and you have grief and you have your pain and don't diminish that because of what I've been through. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I always go back to the idea too, um, that like, we could have like been like sisters going through the exact same mm-hmm. like trauma growing up, but come out of it, one being traumatized and one not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like it, 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 everybody, it's, it's such a personal thing. It is. Yeah. And I think people forget that. And so when you're on the outside looking in, it's easy to make a comparison. Like, well, they deserve to be like super messed up from that, but like, why are yeah. they so messed up? Yeah. But it's like, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I literally have a friend whose husband died six weeks before mine did. And oh my God, our, I have a friend who died seven weeks before oh, mine. Oh, crazy. But our sucks. experiences, right? 
is are so different and how we've grieved are so different and how we've experienced um you know his death was so much different than my husband's death and but we both lost our person and we both are grieving in a different way and maybe we don't understand how each other's grieving but that doesn't matter you know you can never mm. and you know when you listen I mean I listen to true crime documentaries 24/7 or I watch Dateline or whatever <laughs> and they're trying to analyze you know someone's 911 call and how well they were too yes. frantic or they weren't frantic enough or they weren't and it's like you have no idea how you're going to be until you're in that situation yeah. there's no normal response exactly. here and no. if they were but they do they analyze like what the husband yeah. did the next day I mean it's always the husband like, right but <laughs> but you know and I remember watching I don't remember what movie it was but it was like Sandra Bullock was in it and her husband died and she had two kids and she was in bed and she couldn't get out of bed and she was and I was like that would be me if my husband died I would be in bed I would shut everybody out I would never come out of my room I would never get up off the floor and then my husband died and I had to get up and I had to keep moving forward and I had to keep changing diapers and you know making school lunches and calling Mm -hmm. lawyers and get up off the floor and figure out what are we going to do now Mm -hmm. and as much as I wanted to stay in that room and shut everybody out I couldn't and I've had so many people say like I don't know how you do it and I don't know how you keep going and I'm like I have no choice I can't stand still. I have to keep moving forward for me and for my kids. And it's going to be messy and we're going to fall and we're going to trip and we're going to drop all of our shit, but we're still like throw shit and yell and we're going to scream and we're going to exactly, but we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is an element to it that, that yeah, you don't, you don't have a choice. And I know Tisha has known people in other situations where she's like, well, no, you, you kind of do have a choice. There are people who won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I there think, are, yeah, there are people who in that situation do stay in yeah. bed and don't manage to find it. Mm-hmm. I think to get out of bed, Yeah, but um, I think certainly having kids there is, it's a huge driver, a big right? Driver. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, you recently, because um, I follow you on Instagram, um, I know that you recently went on like a griefcation. Yeah, yes. I wanted to ask about that too. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought I'm that was brilliant. Me too. So tell us okay, about it. So um, I felt like I hadn't processed my husband's death, uh, even a little bit. I had locked it all away up in my brain. And yes, I'd been going to counseling and you know, I'd, I'd take pieces out here and there and kind of figure it out. But, um, when you have five kids at home, there's no time where you can, you know, go in your room and break down and fully just like engulf yourself in the grief. And I was like, I need to go to a hotel and I need to sit in it and I need to read and I need to listen and I need to watch Ted talks and I need to do all the grief things that I haven't been able to do for the last two years. So Carlin came over and watched my kids. I went to a hotel for two days, called it a griefcation. And I did yoga and I watched TED Talks. I uh, listened to podcasts about grief. I listened to some audiobooks about grief, did face masks, and I 
ate a lot of junk food and all the things that I wanted to do that you can do when you have all your kids home and I can't even do it. I just needed two solid days to kind of just mm-hmm. be in it. And it felt great. And I'm going to do one every month. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that would be wonderful. But um, I think everyone needs to go on a griefcation, honestly. And it doesn't need to be like this heavy, heavy thing. It didn't feel heavy. It didn't feel like I was just crying for two straight days. It felt more like I'm going to do the things that I know I need to do to work on my grief and work on myself. And of course, it doesn't fix everything in two days, but it it gets you a little bit farther down the road. So it chips away oh, at absolutely. it a little bit. I think, I think it's great. I love that you like went into it kind of like yeah. that because I was lucky enough, um, like literally two weeks before the world shut down, uh-huh. my mom came up here and I got two nights nice. in a hotel. Nice. I didn't do any like processing. <laughs> and that's okay. For, like, I mean, honestly, dinner. I think then, any mom with multiple kids oh, needs yeah. a two Deserves nights that. at a hotel. Like, <laughs> yeah, away from all the responsibilities. Absolutely. But I kind of wish that I would like, take those moments to like take a block of that time to kind of do some of the things because I really was like no I want to do this and I want to do that and and it's hard because I think as a mom you have these things that you want to do that you don't get to do yeah Mm -hmm. when you want to so there's that but I think I'm moving forward when I'm put in those positions I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of that just to, you know, yeah. maybe spend some time reading that book that, you know, everyone says you should check yeah, out yeah. on grief or, or, you know, mm-hmm. listen to the podcasts or whatever it well, is. Well, and my that, whole, that... my whole jam is avoidance. I don't, yeah. you know, I'm like, I have a podcast in my ear all the time. I could easily put in a grief book. I could easily put in a grief podcast, but I want to listen to my true crime and I don't want to think about it. And I don't want to talk about it. And I, you know, I don't even want to sit in a meditation for five minutes because I don't want it all flooding in towards me. If I start crying, I shut it down. Like I, I don't want to do it. And so I was like, I need to find this time where I just have to do it. And I have to force myself to do it Mm -hmm. because if I don't, I never will. And, um, I can't in a, in a hotel room, you can't cook and you can't clean and you can't, you know, you're not getting food for other, there's a lot fewer distractions. Exactly. So I just had to do it and I, and I did, and it, it felt great. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. In my own trauma, I'm also a bit of an avoider and like, I don't know. Um, I've talked before, like I would set a timer, like when I started crying, I would like not set a timer, but I would like look at the clock and be like, you have five minutes, <laughs> yeah. you have five minutes yeah. to cry. And then you're yeah. moving on. And there was part of me that felt like if I allowed myself to sink into it mm-hmm. enough that I would never get out Absolutely. of it, that the pain was so deep. I thought if I give into this, I'm going to go down such a dark hole that I'll never be able to come Absolutely. out again. Um, I don't, at this juncture think that actually was true but that was the fear Mm -hmm. at that time like I wanted to just avoid it and not deal with it and not talk about it and and push it aside as much as I could so that I didn't go into this place where I could never get out of again um 
but it kind of crept up mm. on me. It kept kind of rearing its head and also coming out in other Absolutely. ways because I wasn't allowing myself to, to feel the sadness or feel the, the, the scared or express that then it was coming out in me being irritable uh-huh. and having nightmares and yeah. all kinds of other things yeah. because I think I was suppressing that oh, so much. 100. I can definitely relate to and, that. You know, yeah. And so you can't just like, I can't just let myself cry. Cause I got to make oh, lunch well, yeah. in half an hour. I mean, like, I tried to do a meditation once and I got interrupted like six times. I'm like, this is not, like, this is not doing this what is I why need, we need to a griefcation. Exactly. Well, I think also because it does feel when you're experiencing that deep, like deep to your core grief, you know, trauma or whatever, it's it is so unknown mm-hmm. so it feels like once you like let something out it's never gonna stop exactly exactly mm-hmm. yeah you know what I yeah. mean and and I think especially as women and moms we we can't afford to let that kind of thing mm-hmm. not stop mm-hmm. um because there's a I time limit on everything that... there's a time limit on oh I gotta go pick up right. my kids I gotta make lunch I gotta do like I gotta there's always a time limit There is, but then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know, after Warren died, I cried every morning um, for like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Like I would just wake up because it would be like, oh my God, like he's like dead, he's gone. Um, And that was the only time I would cry and nobody would see it. And it wasn't intentional. It just, that's just what it was. That was my time. Um, But you always stop, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. think about it our kids always stop crying yes like I why why do we feel like it won't stop you know, <laughs> I know. like I, I know it's a different it now it's so insane that I would put a time yeah. on it like I was like you can't do this you got five minutes yeah and you can't feel sorry for yourself I mean a that. lot of times I find myself <laughs> my eyes will start crying without me crying because I swear my body's like you need to freaking cry you need to let something and I'm out. like I don't want to yeah. yeah and so my eyes will just start tearing it's- and I'm like uh-uh <laughs> well it's I've a- woken up yeah. crying like cried in my yeah. sleep well it's a release yeah. though right and it's like been mm-hmm. proven to be good for our body to release Absolutely. that yeah. um Absolutely. so it's really inter- like it- I understand because especially like I wouldn't put a time limit on it I, I didn't don't shut it down generally mm-hmm. but like we'll always stop no crying. it's insane I'm not suggesting people do <laughs> no, that no, no, I know that I, I want to be really clear no I know that but like Michelle has her own way of doing it by just not letting it out period yeah, yeah. like yeah don't do so, that either but what I'm saying but what I'm saying is like it's kind of crazy that in just in general and I, I don't think either of you are alone in that no. like I, I mean I don't let my, myself cry as much as I should for sure yeah. but um we're, you won't keep crying yeah yeah right? Like mm-hmm. you do, it, 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 it doesn't mean the pain's not going right. to go away, but maybe you let some of it out yeah. and maybe, so maybe it's better after, I don't know. I'm not speaking like, as I know, really, yeah. no, I, it <laughs> but like, sense. it's kind of crazy, right? Like, I don't know about you, Michelle, but like when my kids are just feeling sad about it, I just let them yeah. cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you just like, let them cry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and let ourselves cry. Like, what I know that? it's weird, but and- yeah, the whole griefcation thing, I, I think is amazing. And I remember uh, before I had kids, um, 
this woman that I worked with, it was her birthday and she was going to stay in a hotel for the weekend by herself. And I didn't get it. Like, I was like, why would like, not with your friends, like not with your husband, not with your kids. Like I didn't get it. Yeah. (laughs) And now that I'm like married and I have two kids, I'm like, she just wanted to go and relax. Like, she's like, yeah, I'm not even going anywhere. I'm just going to go. I'm going to stay in the hotel room. I'm like going to watch movies. I'm going to eat junk food and I'm just going to like read and do whatever I want without interruption. And as a mom now, I, I get Mm -hmm. that. I also remember another woman I worked with, it was her birthday or mother's day, one or the other. And the only thing she wanted was the house alone. Like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see anybody. I want my husband to take Mm -hmm. the kids and just leave me at home. That has been my dream for mother's day for years. I had such (laughs) grand plans for last year's mother's day because I could finally do it without being guilted about Mm -hmm. it. And I could just pay a babysitter. Mm -hmm. And it was COVID like, and it was like lockdown, but like, I literally was like, I'm booking a spa and I'm getting a sitter or I'm asking my mom to come up. Like I am not participating in this because. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of times on father's day, it's like. That's what the dads do. That's what the dads do. They go golfing or right. Like Kristen Bell, Kristen Bell a couple of years ago. Um, she had like Dax told her to have like Mother's Day, like a Father's Day. So she was at like it was like the the Rose Bowl Farmers Market outside of LA, which is this amazing farmers market. And 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 I was like, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> like. And I think I read after that too. See that, my kids on Mother's Day. Well, I think like parents have moms have, <laughs> moms have yeah. Had, I mean, I kind of do, but moms of young kids generally would rather be alone. Where when you're older and your kids are older, yeah. that's when you want to spend the time with your kids. Right? So I remember my husband asking me what I wanted for Mother's Day one year, and I said I just want like my house to be clean and I have a nice like someone to make me food, and then to have a nap, and like by myself and he was like um you're like every single other mom he's like I literally just googled what to get a mom for mother's day and that's all that came up I was like I want to be left alone I want to have a nap I want someone else to make food I don't want to do it yeah like do it right um yeah I think that is uh definitely um what most people who have younger children yeah and that's when that's when those holidays are hard too because my husband would do such a good job on mother's day and he would make sure that you know I had time to myself or he would make me breakfast or whatever and so then when things like that come up now it's like I just remember those times and how good they were and yeah it's just it's sad and and even going out like I don't know if you experienced this too Jen I don't want to go anywhere and I don't, there was such a long time where I didn't want to experience anything because I didn't have my partner there with me to be like, to, to make those memories with and to talk about later when the kids are in bed and it's like, oh, how funny was, you know, so-and-so and at night is lonely. It is. And, and then it's like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to go to a new um, park or go swimming or whatever with the kids, because I don't have my person who would have come with me. And then you can share the fun, you know, 
later it's just lonely it's so lonely it is that that like time like at the end of the day mm-hmm. and I was alone a lot in the evenings anyway like I like one month of ten. Yeah. but like but he was still there or I could call him or text yes. him pictures or like when we would go visit my family we would FaceTime mm-hmm. like when Logan lost his first tooth and like things like that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but like the hard thing about like I was like very cavalier that Mother's Day was not gonna be hard for me because yes. I never cared much about it yeah um, but what I realized is that he would make me breakfast and mm-hmm. it's not to say that he didn't do anything. It was oh, just yeah. never a big, it just was never a big deal yeah. that he would make me breakfast. And, and you just feel seen on that day by yes. your partner in a way that nobody else. Absolutely. Can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and the lack of kind of being seen, um, is, is I think hard as a, yeah, as a mom. It is. And it's also really hard not to feel like a burden on, on other people, like, because, the one person who's as responsible for your children as you are is no longer there. So anyone now that you have to help you with your children, you're infringing on their life. And I know that they don't feel that way, but that's how it's hard it's not, so to, feel hard that way, not to feel like I'm inconveniencing you because I need you to watch my kids or I need you to do something for me because my person who was there, you know, the only other person responsible for them isn't here anymore. And he used to say like, I'm not babysitting our kids. I'm watching our kids. Like he was an incredibly involved parent and he wasn't there all the time because he was working. But when he was there, he was, he was there once. And and when we would go places, we were a team, you know, and of course we would bicker and argue about little things here and there, but we could, tackle it because we were together and now the thought of you know I went to a park the other day with my kids and I had so much anxiety about bringing all of them out with me and you know trying to find parking and trying to find this place because we never been there before and all this stuff and I messaged Carling and I'm like honestly I feel like it'd be easier to fly to Toronto at this point because the thought of bringing them all here by myself is is killing me but we had so much fun and it, we always do and then when I think about it, I'm like why aren't we doing this more but then it just becomes overwhelming again and it's like this constant kind of battle with myself to like go or don't go or what what's you know what's going to be harder staying at home or going out you know it's like a whole thing yeah because there's nobody else when you're just like ready to like rip their heads yeah. off that's going to step in and say take a breath exactly like, I will take this one away or I will like you sit down. Like you never, you never have that. Yeah. And And it's that prospect into the car because he's screaming and doesn't want to go to daycare. And I'm like, I have nobody that can help me with this. You know, I could have FaceTimed Carling, but she's, you know, she's not there. And my husband isn't there to be like, okay, I will handle him. You go, you know, grab the other stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when it's mm-hmm. yeah. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels heavy. It does. Um, yeah. What? And sometimes the adults do just need Absolutely. to walk away. Right. Like we, yeah, we you do all, need to yeah. kind of trade off or whatever. Well, you know, I tell the boys 90% of the time when I put them in timeout, it's because I need it too. Yes. Yeah. Or they just need to take a few minutes away from one another and everything will be okay. Yeah. And there's this kind of feeling that, we don't ever get the opportunity to do that for ourselves. Absolutely. I don't know if you do this, Um, but it sometimes makes me feel better that if I just uh, stick a middle finger up to the sky 
that helps sometimes. I've never done that. I mean, his ashes are right here. I could just go right to that. Because I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. Like, what the fuck? Like, and so I'll just kind of flip off. Who can I be mad at? Flip off the sky and going on with my day. (laughs) Right? That's a good idea. I'll try that. Um, So, I mean, this is a hard one. I feel like we kind of covered off on a lot of it, but like, you know, if there was either, you know, one thing that you wish somebody would know or one piece of advice that you think all people could really benefit from hearing from your story, like what might that be? Okay. So my first one would be have a will and have life insurance. I was going to say that, that would, yes. that would be mine. <laughs> That's 100%. Whether you think you need one or not, whether you've been dragging your feet on having one, get one right now, because if you and are, at the bare minimum, like write something exactly. and just sign it and have someone witness it. Yes. Yeah. Like have a will. Um, you have assets or not, it doesn't matter. You know, you need to have a document in place that is going to help the people that are left when you when you pass away. And mm-hmm. um, that's the thing is that you have to think about the people that are left behind and what what they have to do. So that's my number one. And then my number two would be if you, if there's someone in your life that has lost somebody, a a partner, a child, a a family member, a best friend, um, don't ask them what you can do to help them. Just Mm -hmm. do something, whether it's dropping off groceries on their front step, whether it's calling them from Costco saying, I'm here picking up some stuff. What can I get for you? Um, I find that when I'm asked what can be done, it's more work for me. It's, it's work for me to figure out what you can do to help me. So instead just Mm -hmm. do something, you know, and you don't, and it doesn't end after that first year. If it's someone that you care about and you want to support. I related a lot to having a newborn baby because when you have newborn there, everyone's bringing the onesies and the diapers and the meals, but that baby keeps growing and that, you know, you still need your support and your friends after that baby gets bigger and you still need mm-hmm. the bigger size clothing or whatever. So when mm-hmm. your person, your, your friend or your family member has lost somebody, that grief and that pain is never going to go away. So continue to help them because it's true. The help is there. The help is there at the beginning and then it goes away because everyone goes on with their life and you can't fault Mm -hmm. anybody for that because of course they do. No, but no, the pain and it's still there and people still need help. And, Mm -hmm. and I've gotten a lot of like, what can I do to help you? Or let me know if you ever need anything. And I'm guilty of doing it too. Let me know if you ever need help. But instead, just do something. Yep. That's more helpful. Yep. I agree. That's what I think. There's very few things that you could, like, that you might think of doing for somebody that they would not find helpful. Absolutely. Like, my friend who um, lost her husband seven, six weeks before I did, um, dropped off a blanket. And I've slept with that blanket every night since she has. And that was so comforting to me and was like, I wouldn't even think about doing that. I wouldn't even think about like bringing a blanket to somebody. Yeah. But of course you want to like snuggle with something, right? Like 
And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, just, just, if you think that it would be comforting to you, if you were in that position, then do it for, do it for that person. Or if it's just the shit that we all need to do in our houses and lives every single day. Come over, take out the garbage, vacuum the floor, take out the bottles, you know, do all that stuff. Um, yeah, because th- that stuff still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And and when you never know when your grief is going to like pop up mm-hmm. and you have no capacity, that's the stuff that like absolutely matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing you so, so much. much. We always love talking to you. Uh, thank you, guys. I had so much fun and I love talking to you guys. And I was nervous, but it was so much fun. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.